Well, I think I'm going to talk to you about the best dad in the world. The best dad in the world. You want to hear about the best dad in the world? Best dad in the world. So let's read Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. I'm getting a little bit of feedback up here. It's a little loud. Thank you so much. Um, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven. Now, this was audible because people heard this voice. So it wasn't just something he felt in his heart. It was an, like my voice right now. And what did it say? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. All right? And um, John the Baptist heard it. Jesus heard it. Those standing by heard it. So I'm going to talk to you about this, what God said regarding his son. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of God that is in your word. It is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Thank you, Lord, that your word doesn't return vain. Uh, that, it, that it does what it sent forth to accomplish. And I thank you, Lord, that it's going to accomplish what you're sending it out to do. And you're going to help us to walk away with a stronger understanding of God our Father in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Once again, tell your neighbor, happy Father's Day. Even if it's not a dad or a man, just say it anyway. <laughs> Amen. I love to celebrate dads because, you know, remember those, the old, I mentioned sitcoms a little while ago, but do you remember the, in the ones made in the 1950s that said, Father knows best. Remember that? Father knows best. Now it's Father knows nothing. And that's not the plan of God. Now, there's a lot of great dads here today who have done your very, very best to raise your children the best you knew how. You're not perfect, but you were sincere. And you love your children very, very much. And we celebrate you. We honor you today. But because of the day we live in, I've got to say this too. There are some people here whose memories of their dad are not so good. Some of you watch them walk away and abandon you and your family. And you've struggled with that your whole life. And some of you have even experienced terrible abuse at the hands of your father. And, and so even the word father brings pain to you when you hear the word father. Because you immediately connect the dots to your dad who was not what he should have been. And it may be, and I know it is with many, that your experience with your dad has caused you to struggle with the whole concept of God as your father. I, I read of a woman this week who, who, it took her years to be able to look up and say, Father God. Father God. She, she could say God. She could say Lord Jesus, but she couldn't put Father to it because of what had happened between her and her father. And finally, she got the breakthrough and got her memories healed and got her soul healed. And she was able to look up and say, Abba, Father. Amen? But if that's your experience, then our prayers are with you today as well. Because God does want to bring a healing to you. And he wants you to get to the place where you can dissociate your experience with your earthly father. And receive from your heavenly father. And that's why I want to talk about your heavenly father today. Because he's the best dad in the world. 
He's the best dad in the world. Um, now, when you read your Bible, you will find that uh, he wasn't known as father very much at all in the Old Testament. Did you know that in the entire 23,145 verses of the Old Testament, that father is used to relate to God only 11 times? Just 11 times. In 23,000 plus verses, 11 times. But when you go to the book of John, in John's gospel alone, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, or the rest of the epistles, just in John's gospel alone, he is called father 122 times. Because of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Because you see, the Old Testament God was more known as, or it went by the name of Jehovah. Jehovah. Uh, Yahweh. And, and that means the eternal living one. So when you, when you talk about God, you, you said Jehovah, this, that, or the other. And you were referring to this God that was out there that just seemed so vast and so great and so awesome that it, he was not personalized. He was known as Elohim, the creator. In the beginning, Elohim, God, created the heavens and the earth. So he was the creator. He was the, the eternal living one. But still, he seemed out there, bigger than you, distant from you. Uh, he was viewed, actually, if you read the book of Hebrews, he was viewed with fear as the God that appeared on the mountain with fire, accompanied with, listen to this, blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. And so terrifying was the sight that even Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. Doesn't sound like a father. Sounds like somebody spooky. Right? But when Jesus came along, dear church, he put a father face on God. They said, Jesus teaches to pray. And he said, here's how you pray. You start this way. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So even praying the Lord's prayer, you immediately uh, address God by the title Father. Our Father, our Father in heaven. The Apostle Paul wrote that at the very moment you're saved and you're born again on the inside, the first thing that happens is you look up and you cry, Abba, Father, because you have been adopted as a son of God, as a daughter of God. You have been adopted by a loving Father. So the first thing we utter when we have been born again is, Abba, say it with me, Father. So that's the message of the New Testament. The New Testament takes God because of Jesus, takes that God of the Old Testament and puts a fatherly, approachable face to him. And he began to teach us to relate to him as father, not God, but father. You're my father. He said, your father knows what you have need of before you even ask him. He cares about every little thing in your life. When you pray, he will hear you because you have loved me. He loves you. And he's now your father because he's my father. And because you came to me, now I've made you and him. I brought you together in reconciliation. And as he was my father, he's now your father. He said, hitherto you've asked nothing in my name. Go to the father in my name and he will hear you because you have loved me. Amen. So since the New Testament presents God as, as the father of those that turn to his son for salvation. Now, I've got to be honest and be true and shoot straight today that if you haven't come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he's not your father. 
He made you. He created you. But he's not your father until you've been born again. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. If you're ever going to see the kingdom of God, because born once, I'm going to shoot straight again. Born once, the Bible says your father is the devil. Born twice, your father is God. Born once, you're blind. Born twice, you see. Born once, you're dead. Born twice, you're alive. Born once, you're going to hell. Born twice, you're going to heaven. Amen. So you got to be born again. You see, the very word born again means that you have been begotten by God, and that's how you can call God your father, because he really is your father, because he has begotten you to a lively hope in Jesus Christ. You've been begotten, born again. So let me point out some ways that God is the best dad in the world. How many of you are glad he's your heavenly father? Amen? He's your heavenly father. All right. Here's the first way. He was present with his son. John 16, verse 32, listen to this. Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry, and he's, he's predicting some tough things. He's looking at the disciples who are about to watch him go through hell on earth. And he says, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when you will all be scattered, each one going his own way, and you're going to leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father, the Father is with me. In other words, my God is a, is a present God. Now, God the Father was very present and accounted for in the life of his son. In good times and bad, Jesus said, you know, you're all going to scatter, Peter. You're going to do it. Even though you're telling me you're not going to do it, you're going to deny me three times. All the rest of you are going to run and hide trembling behind closed doors. And I'm going to be left alone as far as a human being goes, but I'm not going to be alone. The Father is with me. And I want you to know, folks, that if somebody has left you, walked out on you, and you feel very alone, you are not alone. Because if God is your Father through Jesus Christ, He is with you. He will never leave you, never fail you, never forsake you, never abandon you, never walk out on you. He will never, never, never let you down. God the Father was very present and accounted for in the life of His Son. Unlike a story I read this week. Five-year-old Christopher was standing outside the door of the church where his grandmother was inside serving people who needed clothes or food. Standing there on the curb, enjoying the sunshine, waiting for Granny to finish, a strange man rides up to Christopher on a bike and begins to talk to him. The stranger begins his inquiry by asking Christopher, Do you know who I am? With childlike honesty, Christopher tells the man, I don't know who you are. To which the stranger replied, I'm your biological daddy. Biological daddy? Christopher was thinking, what in the world is a biological daddy? The strangeness of this man's response prompted Christopher to go find his grandmother. He ran in and said, Grandma, you need to come outside. There's a man out here who says he's my biological daddy. When his grandmother stepped out the door, sure enough, it was his biological father on the bike. She greeted him, and then the biological daddy took $5 out of his pocket and gave Christopher the $5. And he said, I'm going to come visit you soon. I'll see you soon, Chris. Years went by, and he never came. 
Christopher remembered the moment that he met him on the bike, the only time, the only memory he had of him. And then after the promise and the $5, I'll see you again. And he never came. Do you know how common that is? Currently in the United States, roughly 45 million, that's a sixth of the population, 45 million children under the age of 18 go to bed at night with no father present. And we wonder why we're having a societal collapse, because we are in a societal collapse. Our culture is collapsing in front of our eyes. There's many reasons for it. I believe this is one. Absentee fathers. Statistics tell us that in America, breaking that 45 million number down, in America, 24.7 million children, 33%, lived in a biologically father-absent home in 2010. 20.3 million lived with no father, biological, adoptive, or step in the home at all. I'm a firm believer in the fact that gangs come because of absentee fathers. I believe gangs are the result of absentee fathers. Now, there may be other societal reasons, sociological reasons, sure, whatever. But I think one of the key reasons is absentee fathers. Why do you get into a gang? Why do you get into a gang? Why does a young boy go and get into a gang where he's probably going to be killed or put in prison eventually. Why does he do it? He does it to be affirmed, acknowledged, validated, and to belong. See, gangs are Satan's counterfeit for a healthy home. But listen to me. God the Father is the best dad in the world. You know why? Because he modeled for us never leaving, never forsaking, never abandoning, never walking away, never being absentee. Listen, as soon as I say, Heavenly Father, I need, he's there. When I go through the worst hell the devil could deliver to me, my Heavenly Father is there. When people walk out, my God walks in. Amen? God is there. He is there. And he's there as our heavenly father. Jesus told us over and over again, just read the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is loaded with Jesus taking us to, encouraging us to approach, teaching us about the fatherhood and the dependability of the fatherhood of God. Moses told God's own people, he said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. But then he told them why they could be strong and courageous and why they didn't need to be terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. If I know my heavenly father is standing next to me and walking with me, I can go through the hottest oven. I can go through the deepest valley. I can go through the greatest trial of my life. But if I know my heavenly father is with me, I am strong. I am able. I am capable. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So the first way that God's the best dad in the world and and one that we can all, myself included, myself included, learn from to be present, to be there for our children. I had to repent some years ago, and I've repented several times since. 
I put the ministry above my family. I didn't know I was doing it. I thought I was doing what I should do. But the ministry consumed me. It, 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 it was everything. I, I breathed it. I lived it. I dreamed it. I was awoke, awakened with it. I, was, I slept with it. I ate it. I, I, I thrived on it. To the exclusion of my kids. I wasn't there sometimes when I should have been. And I've had to repent for that. Because sometimes dads and moms, um, all they really need is to know you're there. You're just there, there, present, accessible, callable, approachable, there. You don't have to be perfect. They're not perfect either. Who is perfect? If you're perfect, you're in the wrong church because nobody here is perfect. There's only one perfect human being that ever lived. His name is Jesus. The rest of us are full of mistakes and flaws. But God works with broken people. And I want you to know, God, God is working in your life as a broken person. And he helps you to reach out and help people that are broken as well. Amen? Now, the next thing we see of the fatherhood of God, what made him the best dad in the world, is what we found in, in verse 17 of the text we read. And I'm going to stay with verse 17 for the rest of this message. Let me read it to you again. A voice from heaven said, when Jesus came up out of the water, a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. This is so telling. Let me, let me just break this apart and unpack it. We note here that first God the Father acknowledged his son. Notice how God takes ownership of Jesus. This is my son. I love that personal possessive pronoun right there. He didn't say, this is Jesus, or this is a a good man, or this is uh, the son of God. But no, 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 God owned him. God acknowledged him. God said, this is my son, my son. This is my son. He was essentially saying this, everybody. He was saying, I see you. You're important. You're a big deal to me. And I want everybody to know it because everybody heard it. This is my son. Every son, every daughter, every child needs to hear those words. This is my child, my son. You touch them, you touch me. You go after them, you go after me. You want to see somebody all over you, you just go after them. You're going to see somebody all over you because this is my son. Amen. The Bible says the glory of children are their fathers. Now catch that verse. The glory of children. What does that mean? The word glory means brightness, joy, boasting. It refers to what a child looks up to and admires most. Now catch the power of this verse. The glory of children are their fathers. Their fathers are their joy, their brightness, their, 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 their cause of boasting. Their, their fathers, God wants their fathers to be their bragging rights. It refers to what a child looks up to. Your, your dad is bigger than life. Your dad is bigger than life. I, I went kayaking, believe it or not. I, me, your pastor, who you think all I do is study and pray. I went kayaking uh, Friday. 
with a good man who goes to this church, took me out. He said, I've always seen you as my spiritual father, and I want to take you out. So now I'm getting old enough where they're seeing me as a father. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. But we went out, and he was telling me, I had the closest relationship on earth with any person I've ever had was with my dad. He said, when I was in football, when I was playing football, uh, there was one game where it was so cold, nobody was in the stands. We could hardly get out there and move. Our muscles were aching because of the freezing cold. But in the middle of the game, I looked up and there was one person in the stands, and it was my father. And he was cheering me on. He acknowledged him. He acknowledged him. Joy, brightness, boasting, it refers to what a child looks up to and admires most. That's what a dad is. You know, it's not an uncommon thing for kids to get into a fight about whose dad is the bestest. Right? Whose dad is the bestest? Three boys were in the schoolyard bragging about their fathers. The first boy says, my dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a poem, and they give him $50. Second boy says, that's nothing. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a song, and they give him a hundred bucks. The third one said, I got you both beat. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a sermon, and it takes eight people to collect all the money. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> But don't we like to be able to brag about our dads? People ask me about my dad. And even though my dad and I had some real trouble in our lives between the two of us, the only thing I can think of are the things I want to brag about. And I go bragging about him. Oh, he this, he that. He can take apart a, a car engine and put it back together. Stem to stern, my dad. There was a song in the 50s called My Dad. And it was a song all about, you're never going to hear one of those now. But it was a song about how great this singer's dad was, bragging on his dad. Amen? And so, so how many of you can say, I can sure brag on my heavenly father? Amen? I can brag on my heavenly father? Amen? Come on, everybody. Can you brag on your heavenly father? Yeah. But then next we see that the father God not only, not only acknowledged his son, but he loved his son. He said, this is my son whom I love. Do you hear that? He acknowledged him with the first words. The second set of words, he said, whom I love. I don't just acknowledge him and own him and call him my son, but I'm letting you know I love him. He loved him and he, and he told him so and he told the whole world so he loved him. And God, our Father, our Heavenly Father, I don't know what your view of God is. I talk to people sometimes like, if God's even real, why all the suffering? Why all the pain? Why all this? Why all that? Why all the tumult? Why, why is this world so terrible if God really is there and loves us? And I say, you want to know how he loved you? First of all, he told you, for God so loved, so loved the world. God so loved. Now, I hear that verse this way. God, he could have said, for God loved the world. So he gave his only begotten son. He could have put it that way. But no, no, no. He had to put a so in front of it. Here's the way I hear it. For God so... Loved the world. 
You know what he's saying in that verse? He's saying to you and me what he said to Jesus when he came out of the water. I love you. I love you. He's not a mean, fire-breathing, furrow-browed God sitting out in heaven waiting for you to make a little tiny mistake so he can squash you like a cockroach. No, no. He so loved you that what did he do? He gave, he gave, he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son. God so loved you that he sent his son on a rescue mission to find you and save you and me. We were lost in sin, headed to hell, hopeless, without God and without hope in the world, the Bible says. And God sent his son on a rescue mission because he so loved you. He could have left you to die. He could have left you to perish. But no, he loved you too much. He couldn't help himself. He sent his only begotten son. That's how much he loved you. Could he have done any more? There's nothing more he could do. So people that say that that to me, I say, are you kidding me? You telling me you don't believe God is there and that he's not a God of love? Look at that hill called Golgotha, the place of a skull. What a terrible name for the son of God to die upon. You'll see three crosses reaching into the sky, the dark sky, dark as night at high noon. Three crosses, three men hanging there. Your savior is the man in the middle. The man in the middle. And the man in the middle was taking your sins and mine. And the man in the middle even managed to, to have somebody, one of the two thieves on the crosses next to him, one here, one here. One of them looked and said, would you remember me when you come in your kingdom? Because he went from lost to found, blind to sight, death to life, right there on the cross. Instead of going to hell, he went to heaven because he looked at Jesus and, and somebody came to Jesus. Even in that dark moment, somebody came to Jesus. Because God so loved him. The man in the middle took your sins and mine. And he died in our stead. And that's how much God loves you. How long has it been since you told your children you love them? My kids are coming in the second service. Are we perfect? No, not even close. Have we been dysfunctional? We have been so dysfunctional. But I want to tell you. We never talk that we don't end it saying, I love you. I love you. And I talk to them almost every day. And we never hang up without saying, I love you. We never say goodbye without saying, I love you. Because I've learned you never know if you're never going to have another chance to say, I love you. Tell them all the time, I love you. You can't say it enough, church. Say, I love you. When it's all said and done, let me tell you the truth about life. I've been around long enough to see this over and over. When the curtain closes on your life, and it will for all of us, it won't matter how much money you made. It won't matter how big your house was. It won't matter what style of car you wore or if you if, 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 or drove or if you wore designer clothes or not. It won't matter. None of that will matter. How popular you were with your peers, that won't matter. Here's what will matter. When you're dying, here's what is going to matter. Did you walk your faith out with God? And how close are you to your children and your family? If they're near and you've got a tight relationship with them, you are richer than billionaires that die having given up everything for money. And the last thing I want to point out 
is that the Father God, he, he not only acknowledged him and he not only loved him, but he validated him. This is my son, acknowledged him, whom I love, loved him, and whom I am well pleased, validated him. Validated him. Several years ago when Pete Rose broke baseball great Ty Cobb's long-standing record for the most career hits, it was huge. I remember that day. A reporter asked him what he thought about as he stood on base with the whole stadium of tens of thousands of people cheering wildly for his accomplishment. So the reporter said, what are you thinking about? And Rose said that he thought that his dad was probably looking down from heaven and was pleased with him. Think about that now. Here's this muscular baseball player that broke and shattered records. He's got a stadium full of people cheering for him, but who's he thinking about when he breaks the record? Is my dad watching? Does my dad see it? Is my dad proud of me? Have I put a smile on my dad's face? Of all the things he could have thought about at that moment, who would have ever guessed it would be his dad? But that's what he told the reporter, and I found that very telling. The Heavenly Father validated his only begotten son with the words, listen, with you, I am well pleased. Not with you, I'm so disappointed. With you, you've never measured up. With you, wow, what a letdown. Mm -mm. With you, I am well pleased. Do you know how many kids, all kids, male, female, need to hear that from dad? Because nobody can bless the kids like dad. Nobody can validate the kids like dad. Nobody. I'm going to close with this. In the Old Testament, Jewish fathers practiced blessing their children in three ways. I'm just going to name them. One, they brought a spoken message. They spoke something over them. Children weren't left to fill in the blanks and wonder what their parents thought, what their dads thought, uh, as to whether or not they were valuable or pleasing to them. Uh, The Jewish fathers who were taught by God under Moses validated the children and spoke positive, uplifting things about them, validating them. Second thing they did is they give the kids a sense of high value. Speaking of blessing carries the idea of the person you're blessing is of incredible worth. God did that with us. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a called out chosen people. Does that make you feel validated? I feel like I can go do something when I hear that spoken over me. What did Jesus say to the disciples? Follow me, and I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. He validated them. And when you and I came to Jesus and his blood covered us, you know what God spoke over you and me? With you, I am well pleased. With you, that's why you have peace with God. When we make peace with God, we experience the peace of God. What's the peace of God? When, when you are clear with God, when you are right with God, when you're in good relationship with God. And that's what Jesus came to give us, to bring us into good relationship with God. And as soon as that blood covers us, God says, with you, I am well pleased because I see you through the lens of my son. And the way I saw my son is the way I see you now. Validated. Last thing they did was they spoke a special future over them. Listen carefully to this. 
the light goes on in their hearts and their minds when they realize that because of the way that God made them, they can do more than they ever dreamed in living out a God-honoring future. This is why so much of our generation right now, the world, you read the stats on teen suicide, teen drug abuse, teen uh, nihilism. You read those stats and you wonder, why are they feeling this way? I'll tell you why. Because they have been told you came from some uncaring, apathetic, random process called evolution. There's no purpose for you, no call on you, no special thing about you. You are just an accidental mistake. And so live the way you want because eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you die and you go back to the dust and that's all there is to life. That would make me depressed. But no, God says, I made you. I designed you. I fashioned you. I called you. You are a chosen generation. I I, I am with you. I've got you here for a purpose. Nobody can do what you can do. Can we stand together? Everybody say with me, he acknowledged him. He loved him. He validated him. He does that with us. Now, I'm an imperfect dad. I've made mistakes, and I confess one of them to you today. But it's not too late till you're in the ground, and they've closed the casket, and you're in eternity. If you're separated from your kids today for whatever reason, it may have been something really bitter. It may have been this way for a long time. You'd be amazed what a few words can do. Call them. Shock them. Be the one that gives in. I'll give in when they give in. No, 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 no. Was that Jesus' attitude? He said, no, if I don't give in first, ain't nobody going to give in. And you're all going to go to hell. So I'll be the one that gives in. And so we love him because he first loved us. He made the first move. He made the first gesture. He made the first overture. So do it. Just give him a call. Go over there and really shock them. Say, I'm sorry, whatever it is that came between us, we cannot let time pass till we're both in the grave. We can't, we can't die this way. You can't die this way. Well, they're not a Christian. So what? Lord, neither were you once. Okay. You hear what I'm saying? And, and if you are good with your kids, get better. Say, I love you. Just, I love you. Call them, I love you. Those words are so powerful. And so just remember, God, acknowledge them, love them, validate them. That's what they starve for. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your presence, your blessing. Thank you that you're our Heavenly Father through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, we just thank you for every father in here and every mother. If if you're a single mom with your hands raised, you're raising them alone in a single parent dwelling, you can still acknowledge them, love them, and validate them in the same way. Now, Father, help us to do it. Can you just breathe a prayer with me and say, Lord, help me to see healing come to my home. Help, Help me to walk in what I've heard today. 
And if, and if you and your kids are great, then just thank God that what he spoke over Jesus, he speaks over you. He acknowledges you and he loves you and he validates you. And don't let the devil steal that from you. In the name of Jesus.